Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. It's our third week through our series, The Names of God. This morning we will be looking at Jehovah. You may think that Jeremiah is a strange place to preach from that, but you will see, I think, why here shortly. As way of introduction, did y'all hear about little Johnny's work of art? His art teacher was teaching him about freestyle art and told the class to freehand draw a picture of whatever they wanted. And so she's moving around the class and she's looking at each drawing and she stops at little Johnny's desk and she asks little Johnny, says, Little Johnny, what are you drawing? Without a moment's hesitation, he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. She says, a picture of God? You can't do that. Nobody knows what God looks like. And little Johnny looks up and says, well, they will when I get done. <laughs> People have their own views of what God looks like. Amen? Mm-hmm. You picked a hundred random folks at L.A. International Airport and handed them a pack of coloring pencils and a sheet of paper and asked for a picture of God, you'd probably get 110 different drawings, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. No doubt none of those would come close to accurately depicting who God truly is. Amen? And I think it's for that reason God never allowed His people to draw or build an image of Himself because nothing out of the Creator's hand, heart, and mind could ever come close to reflecting the entirety of the Creator. Think about if you've ever gone to Dollywood and had one of those caricatures drawn of yourself. Is that an adequate rendition of yourself? You hope not. Have you ever been in a photo booth and had a picture taken and you think, wow, that don't look like me? Well, there's good reason. It's not the highest quality camera, right? And so any picture that we were to draw would not adequately nor accurately nor absolutely reflect you, nor would it do the same of God. Any image that we were to draw of Him would fall light years short because the finite cannot grasp the infinite. And so what we're left with is what God has revealed to us and a study of God's names is a wonderful way to get a true picture of the depths of who God is. And so last week, Jimmy looked at Elohim. This week, we're going to look at God's most famous name, Jehovah. We're going to examine the who and the what, or if you would like, the description and the prescription. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, see, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. 
Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land, for behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaken me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work, arise and say to them, Everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. The word of God to the people of God, preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, as we look out the windows and we see the rain falling on our land, Father, what we need today is we need you to wash us with your word, Father. Father, I pray that as I speak that it would not be me, but Father, that it would be you that would speak to your people. Father, you would give us ears to hear, hearts to, uh, to know, Father, what you would have us to take away uh, from this word today. And so, Father, we know that you are faithful to fulfill your word, that, Father, it does not go out void, but it will accomplish its purposes. And so we trust in that today and ask that you would do that, especially as we prepare our minds and our hearts for revival tonight. We ask that you would bless the remainder of this service and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of background first before we go into the who and the what. And find out who was paying attention last week. How many times did Jimmy say Elohim is used in the Bible? 2,500 times. Correct. So 2,500 times. Jehovah itself is not found in our modern English Bibles. Instead, turn to Psalm 3. We looked at that this morning. I'll give you an example. When you see God or Lord in all caps. God or Lord in all caps. And I'll give you another example in just a second. That you can insert there, Jehovah. So look at Psalm 3. David starts out, O Lord. Is that in all caps in your Bible? So it's, O Jehovah. Now look at verse 2. There is no salvation for him in God. Is God in your Bible in all caps? No. So that word there is Elohim. So if it's capitalized but not all caps, it's Elohim. If it's all caps, it's Jehovah. Turn back to Jeremiah 1. Let me give you an example of... You could have Lord, so God could be rendered Elohim, or it could be rendered Jehovah. Lord could be rendered Jehovah, or it could be rendered Adonai. Remember I said those are the three foundational names of God. I won't quiz you on that. Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai. And so look at verse uh, 6. Then I, Jeremiah, said, Ah, Lord, God. Is Lord there in all caps in your Bible? Mm -hmm. In verse 6? No, that's Adonai, and God is all caps, right. so it's Jehovah. Then I said, Ah, Adonai, Jehovah. So you got that? If it's all caps, you're not going to find Jehovah in your Bible, but if it's all caps, God, all caps, Lord, it's Jehovah. If it's 
not all caps God, it's Elohim, and if it's not all caps Lord, it's Adonai. So Jehovah is found some 6,700 times in the Bible, the vast majority being rendered Lord. And so Jehovah is a Latinization of the Hebrew Y-H-W-H. That's called the Tetragrammaton, the four letters. The historical vocalization of that was lost in the Second Temple Judaism around 3rd, 2nd century B.C. So we have no idea how it was pronounced in the original language. And most of the reason that that was uh, lost is because people did not want to violate the fourth commandment to take the name of the Lord in vain. And Marty and I talked about it yesterday morning. That's how much the Jewish people feared God. How much fear do we have in this land? We don't not pronounce His name. We take it in vain. And so the modern pronunciation is the vowels from the Hebrew Adonai added to the Tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-W-H, and then we get Jehovah. And that came about in the 16th century in our modern Bibles, the Geneva Bible and the King James Bible. Again, you're going to see God or Lord, that's the Hebrew Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, or English Jehovah. And so not only is Jehovah more numerous than Elohim, it's more famous, so to speak, because it's God's personal name. Think of Elohim as an impersonal title. If I were to say doctor, they could be a doctor of pharmacy, a doctor of medicine, they could be a doctor of education, and a doctor of medicine, doctor, that could be Dr. Cook, that could be Dr. Martin, that could be, we don't know, right? And so it's just a title. Jehovah is the personal first name of God. So like Buffy, a doctor, there's many, but Buffy Cook, MD, there's only one. Vicki said, praise the Lord, but she couldn't handle two. Think about it, there's many Elohims, but there's only one Jehovah Elohim. And so Elohim refers to God's power. It's his creative and powerful name. Jehovah, his person, it's his exclusive and personal name. And it signifies a personal, relational God versus a creational God like Elohim. And so if God has a proper name by which men can call him, it is Jehovah. And so let's look at who is Jehovah and what does Jehovah desire. First, who is Jehovah? So a description of who is Jehovah. Jehovah, I'm going to give you ten things that's listed there in your bulletin, in your sermon notes. Number one, Jehovah is a person. One of the first characteristics we discover about Jehovah is he is a person. Look at verses 5 to 9 of Jeremiah 1. Listen to the verbs. I formed you, I knew you, I consecrated you, I appointed you, I'm sending you, I command you, I will deliver you, the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said. That sounds like a person to me, doesn't it? You? In Exodus 3.14, you'll remember that God said to Moses, Say, I am sent you. He did not say, I ain't sent you. We don't live in an impersonal universe. The evolutionists, the atheists, the fatalists, the deists that believe God just you know, wound the world up and then set it off you know, into time and space would have us believe that God is just a force. When we say the force be with you, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a living, personal God. He's a God who's got emotions, intellect, and will. You know why? Because He's a person. The Trinity 
As Jimmy talked about last time, Elohim is what? Plural. It tells us right out the gate that God is a trinity. That means God is one, God is three persons, each is fully God. Now you go figure that out. But think about it. The Holy Spirit grieves, the Father loves, the Son wept. That's some examples in Scripture. How is that possible? Because Jehovah is a person. In John 14, 26, the Son speaks, the Father sins, He, the Holy Spirit, teaches. Not only is He a person, those are gender-specific pronouns. And so they're people. And so think about, why do the atheists fight so hard against God's existence? Because the last time I checked, there's no anti-unicorn societies. There's no anti-leprechaun societies. People aren't running around with organizations and t-shirts that say unicorns and leprechauns don't exist. You know why? Because everybody knows they don't exist. The reason they fight so hard against God's existence is because God has given them in their mind and in their heart a true knowledge that even though they deny it, He exists. And He is a person and they are personally accountable to Him and that's what they really want to shirk is the personal accountability. The first use of Jehovah in the form of Lord is in Genesis 2-4. But turn to Genesis 6-5. Like I said, there's very few times that Yahweh is rendered God and so we get some really good pictures about God by looking at those. The first time it's rendered Lord, we'll look at it in a minute, it's Genesis 2-4, but the first time in the form of God is Genesis 6-5. Look at 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man. The first time it's rendered God, Yahweh is, you see a personal accountability of man to a three-time holy God, right? That's what the atheists don't want to deal with, is being personally accountable to God. So being a person, think about it, two things, God speaks. Again, I said Lord versus God as far as Yahweh. God as Yahweh is scattered from Genesis to Psalms. And you get to the prophets and it's like a Geiger counter going nuts. 200 times in Ezekiel alone, Yahweh is rendered God. You know why? Because he's speaking. He's a person. Think back to Amos 50 times. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith Jehovah, Yahweh. He's speaking. And so the application for us is, is he speaking? Are we listening? All right. So being a person, God speaks. Being a person, God hears. Of the first 16 times that Yahweh has rendered God, 11 of them, you know what they deal with? Prayer. Prayer. In fact, the only time that you find Yahweh rendered in Daniel is in the great prayer of Daniel 9. And so the application for us as far as that goes is that God is hearing are you talking so he wants to talk to you and he wants you to talk to him what a double blessing amen talk about count your blessings alright so number one Jehovah is a person number two Jehovah is self revealing 
Look at verses 11 to 13 of Jeremiah 1. The second characteristic we discover about Jehovah, He's a person and He's self-revealing. Look at verse 11 and 13. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Look at 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? So first off, to all of creation, God was Elohim. Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, 35 times God is, refers to himself as the name Elohim and zero times as Jehovah. And so he's seen as this hidden, distant, awe-inspiring God, not necessarily one desiring fellowship. Now turn to Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 4. When God goes to create man, special creation, He didn't create him out of a monkey. You cannot believe the Bible and believe in evolution. I, I'm just going to throw that out there and y'all get as angry as you want. Every, people can say that uh, Dr. Cook, who's a doctor of science, is as stupid as he wants, but I believe either the Bible is true or evolution is true because Genesis 2-7, it says that he took uh, dust from the ground, breathing in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. He didn't become a monkey. He became a man. And so look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, in the day that Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heavens. And so when it came time for God to be part of this special creation He had created, He gives Himself and reveals Himself in His personal name, Jehovah. Romans 3 is clear. No man seeks after God, right? And so since no man seeks after God, and even if he could discern God, if he tried, we would never ever be able to fully discern Him unless He reveals Himself to us, then He has to reveal Himself to us in order for us to know Him, right? Think about it like a massive game of Marco Polo. And so you're in the pool, and then God could be anywhere. He could be in the Milky Way somewhere. He could be in another galaxy. I don't know. Maybe there's ten other universes. He could be in the ninth one. We don't know. But the point being, would you ever find him if you truly were playing and not cheating, hollering out Marco Polo, would you ever find God if he could be anywhere in the universe? No. And so that's the point. Without God's help, we could never, ever find him. And the way he's chosen to reveal himself to us is through his word and through his name. Alright, and so are you growing in the grace and knowledge of His names? Are you reading His Word and are you studying His names? That's why we picked this series. Alright, so Jehovah is a person. He's self-revealing. Third, He is self-existent. Look back at Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. What word is repeated twice? before. That word in the Hebrew means to interrupt or suspend properly means a non-occurrence. In other words, absent. Well, if you're absent, guess who's present? He is. So he's self-existent. In fact, Jehovah, Yahweh, comes from the uh, Hebrew root haya, which means to exist or to be. When Moses asked God in Exodus 3.13, suppose I go to the Israelites, say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, and what shall I tell them? God replies, 
say to them what? I am who I am has sent me to you. That word I am is the root which we get the word Jehovah from. When Jesus in John's gospel repeatedly says I am, the Greek word there means to be. And the word there in the Hebrew is very close to the word life or live. He's the only thing that has life in and of itself. Right? And so the implication of that is threefold. One, Jehovah is permanently existent. When he names himself, he says, who is? Not who's supposed to be or who's becoming. He says, who is? And think about it. What does the, he the writer of Hebrews say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Marty and I were talking about it yesterday morning. Well, you don't want the God of the Old Testament? Well, then you don't want Jesus because Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And you say, well, Jesus never had anything to say about homosexuality. Well, have you read Leviticus? Because guess who said that? Well, God said it. Yes, and who is Jesus? God. Therefore, Jesus said it. We don't have to have a red-letter Bible. It's all red letters. Right. Jesus said it all. Why? Because He's permanently existent. And then two, Jehovah is eternal. All other gods are perishable. They're stamped with an expiration date. Think about this. Think about the ten plagues. We read through that so many times and we don't think about what God was doing. He was showing that other gods do not have self-existence. Blood in the Nile, that was happy. The water god. Frogs was the goddess of fertility which was depicted as a frog. Gnats was the goddess of beauty. You don't look very beautiful when you got gnats all over you from head to toe, do you? Flies was Isis, which was the goddess of magic. Remember, that was the first time in which Israel had nothing and Egypt had nothing, or had all the plague. I mean, the fifth was livestock, and that's against Apis the bull, which was their most important bull deity. And then bulls, which was against the goddess of healing. Seventh, hell, which was against Geb, the god of the earth. Eighth was locust, which is Serapis, which represented uh, healing. And also uh, the sun, and remember it was dark, and it said not a green thing was left. And that plague, ninth was darkness, which was against the God of the sun, Ra, R-A. And the tenth was against the firstborn, and they thought Pharaoh was a God himself, and even Pharaoh couldn't save his firstborn child. So God was showing that he is eternal. He has no expiration date. And then third, Jehovah is independent. Nothing outside him contributes to nor contributed to his existence. What do you need to live? A lot of stuff. What are some things you need to live? Oxygen. Food, water. Does God need those things? He's self-generating. He supplies them for himself. And so, as far as that goes, if Jehovah is self-existence, then it ought to give us hope for today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Alright, the fourth thing is that is true of Jehovah is that he is immutable. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E that means unchanging. So look at Jeremiah 1, 1 to 3. And to save myself, I'm not going to pronounce these words again. But if you'll notice, do you see a phrase that repeats in verse 2 and verse 3? In the days of. And he gives two different kings. Josiah and Zedekiah. That's over the course of five decades. 
Now, do you think what God told him to tell the first king differed from what He told him to tell the last king? It was judgment is coming. It was the same thing. God doesn't change. But we do change, don't we? If you don't believe me that folks change, look at your mom and dad's high school yearbook picture or their wedding photos. We mature and decay all the time. If you don't believe me, go look at your wife's beauty products. Look at how many people get Botox. Look how many men are putting just for men or going to the men's ageless clinic. That's an oxymoron. Not ageless. You're aging. It's what it ought to be, the men's aging clinic. Why do we have midlife crisis? Because we know our time is short. Why do we all want memory supplements? Because we know our memory's going. You know, I think I may have told you all the story before that the guy goes for physical, he's 80 years old, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor tells him, says, man, you are in fantastic shape. He said, but you know, at your age, you really ought to start thinking about the hereafter. He said, well, Doc, I think about the hereafter all the time. Every time I go in the kitchen, I think, what am I in hereafter? <laughs> Why do we need memory supplements? Because we're constantly changing. God, however, on the other hand, is not. In Malachi 3.6, He says, I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. And so guess what His attributes are going to be like a thousand years from now? The same as they are today. He's still going to love man and hate sin. What is His character going to be like 10 million years from now? The exact same. Holy, loving, righteous, and just. And if He were to change, then what would He be? No longer God. He would reveal that He was less than God or He had not always been God as He is now. Alright, so our fifth characteristic is this, that Jehovah is faithful. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. That word in the Hebrew means this. I see a watching branch. And look at what he says there in 12. For I am watching over my word to do what? Perform it. Because Jehovah is unchanging, he is faithful. And what he says he will do. The promises He makes, He will keep. He's forever trustworthy, faithful to His Word. And so think about that. Jehovah makes all kinds of promises to men. Positive ones for blessing, protection, prosperity. Negative ones for curses and punishment. And all those promises are based on one thing and one thing alone. His own credibility. Not only that, His promises are based on His own credibility, but God serves as His own collateral. Think about a covenant. When we say covenant, what actually happened is that they would take an animal and they would cut it in two. And so if Marty and I were going to make a covenant together that I was going to buy this piece of land, we would take an animal and we would cut it in half, and Marty would say, I'm going to sell it to you for X, and I would say, I'm going to bring the money Tuesday and we would both pass through the animal saying if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, the covenant, then basically let happen to me what has happened to this animal to be sawed in half. And so God is His own collateral. He says, when He made these covenants, I'm going to keep them. 
Is it possible for God to be cut in half and die? No. So he's his own collateral. He's faithful. We can trust him. And so since he's faithful, F-U-L, that means we ought to be faithful, F-U-L-L, to trust and obey. All right, number six is Jehovah is relevant. Look at Jeremiah 1, 18 and 19. He says, And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls. And at the end of 19, for I am with you, declares the Lord to deliver you. There were. Have you ever read the book of Jeremiah? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've been through some stuff as a leader in the church. I ain't been through nothing. Ten major trials he had. He was given death threats. He was isolated. He was put in the stocks. He was arrested. He was challenged. Uh, uh, One of destruction, violence, imprisonment, starvation, chains, rejection. I mean, how would you like to be that as a servant in the church? And so to some people, what do they think God is? He's just a useless crutch. It's even been said by one well-known person, as you know, that he's opiate for the masses. Now, what do you think he was to Moses? You think it was relevant? He said, I'm the great I am, not was, will be, or won't be. I am right now in this moment. And to us, God, Jehovah, is vital to every aspect of life today. You think he was relevant to Jeremiah's life? When he called Jeremiah and said, I've appointed you from the very foundation of the world to be a prophet, and you're going to go through all this, but don't you worry about it. I will see you through it. I think it was definitely relevant to his life. All right, the seventh thing is that Jehovah is omnipotent. Look at verse 8 and verse 19 of Jeremiah 1. Verse 8 says, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And again in verse 19 it says the same thing, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. That word in the Hebrew, deliver, means to snatch, strip, or deliver. And refers to the power of one person overcoming the power of another. And so we don't serve an impotent God, we serve an omnipotent God. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can think or ask. And so think about, um, turn to John 18.5. Think about the Old Testament. In the story of the creation, Genesis 2, God formed, God breathed, God planted, God caused to grow, God took man. God commanded man. God brought the beast to man. God caused a deep sleep on man. God took one of his ribs. He performed surgery with no anesthesia. Wasn't no ventilators. Wasn't no IVs. And then he fashioned woman and brought her to man. Y'all heard the joke about the uh, atheist scientist that uh, basically challenged God and said, let's have a man-making contest. And so God leans down, just like in Genesis 2, 7, takes the dust of the ground, breathes life into it, boom, there's a man. And the atheist scientist says, oh, that's easy. And he leans over to grab up some dirt, and God says, go get your own dirt. Point being, he's omnipotent. We may think we are, but we don't have any power. 
So look at Jesus. We know that he walked on the water in John 18, 5. Let me get there myself. Look at verse 4 to start with. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Basically he said, Jehovah. Yahweh. And look at verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am Jehovah, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's how powerful the name of God is. Jesus just spoke it and men bowled over like bowling pins. Alright, so Jehovah is omnipotent. The next thing is Jehovah is moral. Look back at Jeremiah 1, 16. It says, And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaken me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. So Jehovah is moral. He is holy. He's sacred, set apart from creation and from sin. He's righteous. He always conducts himself in accord with his holiness and his righteousness. Think about it. He expelled man from the garden. He flooded the earth because of wickedness. He rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He executes judgment today against violations of his holiness. But in the midst of all of that, he is loving. Holiness and righteousness must condemn. Love seeks to redeem. Think about what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He sought after them. Think about in the flood. Have you ever noticed this? In Genesis 6, Elohim ordered two of every animal on the ark. In Genesis 7, Jehovah ordered seven of every clean animal to the ark. Why? Because when Noah got off of the boat, what did he do? Sacrificed and built an altar to Jehovah, the moral God. And then he established the sacrificial system in Leviticus that points forward to Jesus. The first seven chapters of Vicky's favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus, Elohim is mentioned one time and Jehovah is mentioned 86 times because even though he is a holy and a righteous God, he is a loving God who seeks after to redeem man. What blessedness that Yahweh is more. And so as far as application for us, 1 Peter 1.16, you be holy because I'm holy. And so with regards to revival, am I striving for holiness? Are you striving for holiness? 1 Timothy 4.7 says that uh, bodily training is of some good, but training for godliness has forever good. So yes, it's important to go to the gym and exercise your body, but are we training ourselves for godliness. Alright, number nine is Jehovah's Jesus. Look at Jeremiah 1. The words of Jeremiah. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he is called the weeping prophet. He's a type of Jesus. You remember the shortest verse in all of Scripture? Jesus wept. You remember when he's looking out over Jerusalem in Luke 19.41? What does it say that he did? He wept. We read this this morning in Sunday school, but Hebrews 5, 7. 
says, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So Jesus was a weeping prophet. And maybe you say, when I say Jehovah is Jesus, well, duh. Because Yahweh is God and Jesus is God, therefore Yahweh is Jesus. But listen to the voices around us. Any heresy is either going to deny the full humanity of Jesus or the full deity of Jesus. And the classic example of that, oddly, is the people who deny uh, the deity of Jesus is Jehovah's Witness. If you're witnessing about Jehovah, you ought to at least say Jesus is God. But they don't. Then how are you Jehovah's Witness? Sound like you Jehovah fake witness. And so think about it. People say Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, have you not read your Bible? Repeatedly in John, I think it's 15 times he said, I am. You know why they took up stones to stone him in John 8.59? Because in John 8.58 he said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. A clear affirmation of his deity. Alright. So the final thing is Jehovah is relational. Look at verse 5, Jeremiah 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That word in the Greek is Jada. It goes back to Genesis 4.1 to talk about Adam knew his wife in an intimate way, and thus they bore children. God's greatest relevance to man is the very basis of his most famous of names is that he is a personal, relational God. And so think of all the people that we could name throughout the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so think about this. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Closing in on being done, but I don't want you to miss this. Genesis chapter 3. When you're there, say, I am. Look at verse 1. This is how God reveals Himself. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That Jehovah Elohim had made. That's His name. Now look at what Satan does. Look at verse 1. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... He said to the one, so here's God, he says, I am Jehovah Elohim, and so here comes the devil, and he says to the woman, but did Elohim actually say? He pulled a fast one on her because he wanted to hide God's relational nature and the relational impact of the deed she was about to commit. And so he didn't use Jehovah, God's personal relational name, nor did Eve. Look at verse 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but Elohim said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then she adds in something God never told them, Neither shall you touch it. And so Satan will pull a fast one and try and get us to think that Jehovah is not the relational God that wants a relationship with each and every one of us personally. So that leads us to our last point quickly. Who is Jehovah? What does Jehovah desire? A prescription. Three things quickly here. One is to answer the call for personal relationship with Jehovah. God is not going to force obedience on anybody, is He? 
And he's not going to force fellowship on you either. Look at Cain and Abel. His terms for fellowship were that we would admit our sinfulness and helplessness. We would ask for forgiveness. We would turn from licentiousness, which is sin, and would keep a slate of cleanliness. Second is to accept the moral obligation Jehovah gives. In Psalm 1-2 it says that the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. It doesn't say under. It doesn't say out of. It says in. God has clearly said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you be holy because I am holy. And so what are we living in? We're living in the days of judges. Everybody just does what's right in his own eyes. Cassie, I'm going to quiz you from Old Testament 1. How many of the 32 of Israel's kings were good kings? Two. One. Three. <laughs> two, one, three. That's been a while, ain't it? So the point is, God is a moral God. We need to be moral beings. And I heard Teresa Wallace at our office, she said they were doing revival at their church the week before last, and she said one of the messages that the guy preached that uh, week was this, sin by any other name is still sin. Accept the moral obligation Jehovah gives. Number three, advance in your knowledge of Jehovah. If you don't have 2 Peter 3.18 in your margin somewhere for this series, you need to know it. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. How do we do that? Exodus 33 gives us a very good idea. You remember that Moses meets with God face to face every day. And so as Moses say, well that's just awesome. I'm thankful for that. You know what he does? He says, give me more. And he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to let you see some, but I'm going to hide you behind the rock and let you see me as I pass by. Otherwise, it'll annihilate you. I love these people say, I get to heaven, I'm going to shake my fist at God and say this and that. Man, if you got in front of His presence without His protection, it would evaporate you. And so God allowed him to experience of such because Jehovah is the close personal character of the living God. You know why we don't get to know more of Jehovah and know Him deeper and experience Him more fully in our lives? Busyness. We're a bunch of busybodies. Moses could have been happy with a burning bush, couldn't he? He could have been thrilled with the ten plagues, overjoyed with the parting of the Red Sea, enthralled with meeting God face to face every day. But what does he say? Give me more. And because he did... God did. And listen to this. This is what Tony Evans says. Listen to this. What happened to Moses after he experienced Jehovah in that intimate way is remarkable. And it should motivate each of us to seek God and make a close relationship with Jehovah the primary focus of our lives. After that encounter, Moses picked up a pen and paper and began writing. You want to know his first four words? In the beginning, God. Have you ever thought about that? How did Moses know about that? Because he wasn't happy with just a little bit of Jehovah. He wanted a whole lot. And Jehovah said, that's fine. I'm going to give you, in fact, the whole creation of the world so you can write it down so everyone will know exactly how it happened. So how did he know the details of events that were so far removed? Because God let him see and experience Jehovah. Think about it. God wants to reveal some stuff to us about him. And the question is, are we too busy to ask him for more? more.
It's not going to happen if you just know him as Elohim. It's only going to happen when you get to know him as Jehovah. And so in closing, if God were to let you draw a picture of him, how accurate do you think it would be? I dare say it would be as accurate as how much you've grown in the grace and knowledge of him through his word and through his names. That's why I pray God uses this series mightily for each and every one of us to get a true picture of Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai. Now, here's the stinger. If God, Jehovah, the personal relation God, who knows you best, my wife knows me better than y'all know me, but Jehovah knows me way better than she knows me. Amen? And if he were to draw a picture of me and a picture of you, what would the rendition look like? How much like Christ would it look? If it were a Dollywood caricature, what would be too big? Maybe your pride? Maybe what would be too small? Maybe your faith? What would be just right? Maybe your giving and your serving? So what I think each of us needs most is this right here, to hand over the canvas of our lives to Jehovah and let Him draw it and color it as He sees fit. And can I tell you, as we get ready to go into revival, that's what revival is all about. It's handing God the canvas of our lives and saying, here, you do with it what you want to do. And so young people, are you listening to me? If you're high school, college age, how many times have you been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you asked Jehovah, Jehovah, what do you want me to be when I grow up? Isn't that the more important question? Doesn't matter what Mr. Marty wants you to be, but it really matters what Jehovah wants you to be. And that don't necessarily mean that you've got to be a full-time missionary or pastor, but you can use any occupation He puts you in for the gospel. Amen. And if you're old, how can and does Jehovah want to use you still for His glory? Well, I'm just too old. Well, what if Daniel would have said that? What if Moses would have said that? Abraham. What did he do when he said, oh, you're going to get a kid? He falls out laughing. And that's what we do. God can't use me. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, he can. And he wants to. And that's what revival is about. I don't care if you're 4 or 94. God still wants to use you. If he gave you breath, there's a reason to share the glorious news of his son. What about the rest of us? What kind of husband, wife, child, worker, classmate, Christian does Jehovah want me to be and you to be? And think about, is there any areas of the painting too big? I got too much world in me, too much flesh in me. Any areas of the painting too small? I don't have enough of the Word in me, enough of the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual gift. We had a lady at the office this past week acting a fool. And I know she's a Christian. And I said, where's the fruit of the Spirit, woman? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You ain't letting enough show, and I do the same at times. Any areas of the painting smudged? Sin? The God needs to tweak out? Any areas of the painting just right? You know what the Word says? Don't grow weary in doing good. I pray revival will come to our nation. Because the Lord knows it needs it. Amen. It's a miracle God ain't zapped this country. 
what's going on. But I kind of tell you, brothers and sisters, it's not going to come to us nationally until it starts in our churches. And it ain't going to come to our churches till it starts in me. And it starts in you. And so I pray God will spark a revival in us beginning tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to come to your house today and worship you. Father, in spirit and truth, Father, just to sing these songs that will comfort us throughout the week. And then, Father, to take your word, Father, and apply it to our lives that, Father, we can look more like you. Father, there's none of us in here that if you were to draw a picture of us that looks as much like Christ, Father, as we need to be and want to be. And so I pray that you would just help each and every one of us to hand you the canvas of our lives, Father, and let you draw it in, paint it and color it as you would see fit. And, Father, that revival would start in us and it would spark out to our land because, Father, we know that our country desperately needs it. We pray as we come to this time of invitation that you would bless it, for it's in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. And speaking of uh, pictures, let me ask you, how's the man, woman in your mirror? Most of us have a picture of ourselves that's far different from reality, isn't it? We think we're fatter or thinner, we're smarter or dumber, we're better looking or uglier than we are, we're kinder or meaner, and what's true physically is true spiritually. That same deceptive self-image goes into spiritually. Every person on the planet thinks they're better off spiritually than they really are, aren't they? I heard a Christian say, well, I don't sin now that I'm a Christian. <laughs> well, you've got too good of a picture of yourself spiritually. Amen? Or a non-believer, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites and judgmental people, and I'm not like that. Well, you are just judgmental and hypocritical. Romans 3, 9-20 to is as clear as the nose on my face. Sin is a universal problem. There's none that is righteous. It's an ugly problem. We are quick to shed blood. We have the venom of asp under our lips and tongues. And it's an undeniable problem. The law says that we are guilty and damned before the Lord because of it. And the only solution is what? Jesus. Dr. Rogers said when he gets to heaven, he's going to say, this is why I should get into heaven because of John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him and sent me as eternal life, he does not come to judgment, but is passed from death to life. I believed in your son, therefore I'm not under judgment. I have passed from death to life. And the gates, he said, will swing wide open. And so, if you don't know the Lord is Savior this morning, come for salvation, come for rededication, baptism, church membership, or just anything that God has sparked in you as we stand and sing this morning. So I stand turn to page 317. Come every soul by sin oppressed There's mercy with the Lord And He will surely Trusting in His Word Only trust Him Only trust Him Only trust Him now He will save you He will save you He will save you now 